0: Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome once again to the Scrum of the Earth Podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, reviews, great interviews, and so much more, all about the world of rugby. As always, I am your host. My name is David Lawrence. I'm an American rugby fan who follows the game wherever I can find it all over the globe. If you would like to get in touch, well, you know what? I would absolutely be thrilled to hear from you. I'm on Twitter at of Scrum. I'm on Instagram at the Scrum of the Earth Podcast, and you can always just drop me a line. At the scrum of the earth at gmail.com. So the amount of rugby each week is rapidly dwindling, but we do still have a lot to talk about. So let's start the show. So, starting us off with our current updates, and you know what? You'll probably be very excited to learn that our current updates this week aren't. Little League Baseball related, uh, though it was the end of my boy's season and he again went four for four on Saturday, scored four runs, got an out at first base on a solo play. It was awesome. However, the actual current updates this week, my band had a rare gig this weekend. It was smashing. We'd been playing out on average, I would say... You know twice every three months. That sounds about right. Before the you know the world blew up in 2020. Since then, it's obviously been a massive challenge for us. So there's a restaurant in historic Concord, Massachusetts, where we played maybe two months before the first lockdown. Since then, they've rebranded and just completely remodeled the place. Uh, it's now a bigger, nicer looking place that also has a sweet little area outside where you can watch kids play cornhole and giant jenga while you drink a bunch of beer so we were scheduled for a three hour set which is about an hour longer than we usually play so i felt like i don't know there was a lot of pressure in the lead up but in the end it was great we played pretty well. The crowd seemed to really enjoy it. We even had the the super drunk guy coming up towards the end to try to sing along with us and try to grab the mic. Uh, it, it seems like we've got a good relationship with this restaurant going forward. We may even do some Saturday afternoon outdoor shows this summer, but scheduling is just never easy, you know? So anyway, either way, if you're interested in finding out where and when we'll next be playing, just get in touch, you know, via the usual channels and I'll be happy to send along an invite. It's stupid! It's stupid! People! Hey, no! Yes, Isa, it is good news this week, or or at least partially. So Holly Davidson, my favorite referee, has been tapped to officiate the World Rugby Under-20s Championship. So I say partially good news because she was left out of the Men's World Cup officiating crew, while somehow people like Matthew Raynell got in, which just seems like madness to me. But there you go. Either way, quoting from a great article here, quote, There isn't much Holly Davidson hasn't achieved as a match official, yet there remains one goal she's determined to add to her already impressive CV, a men's rugby World Cup. In the last 12 months alone davidson has refereed finals at the commonwealth games rugby world cup sevens and rugby world cup 2021 while becoming an ever more familiar face in the men's game davidson who has regularly refereed matches in the urc led the first all-female team of officials in a european match when scarlet's hosted the cheetahs in the challenge cup back in january reflecting on the past year she admits it's been a bit crazy and bumpy at times, but is justifiably very proud of what she has accomplished. Quote, when I got involved with reffing, I always wanted to try and push myself to become one of the best. She told World Rugby, push boundaries, push perceptions and continue to challenge The Scot will certainly continue to challenge perceptions over the next few months as she embarks on a busy working tour of South Africa and Europe. Davidson is slated to work as an assistant referee in three Rugby World Cup 2023 warm-up matches in August in Bucharest, Lisbon, and London. But first, she will travel to to Cape Town this month to become the first female referee to officiate in the uh, World Rugby Under-20s Championship. Quote, The under-20s is a great opportunity to make that step into the next stage of World Rugby Men's Tests, Davidson said. To be honest, I I see this as maybe the first step on that journey to a Men's Rugby World Cup. What's probably most important now is that, yes, I, I go down there, but... I put in performances that i'm proud of and it allows me to continue that journey it's fine me being there but if i then go down and don't perform then it's maybe a step backwards so i just need to go down stay focused and then hopefully the journey continues after the junior world cup unquote Integral to that potential pathway will be the way in which she interacts with her colleagues on the match official team and the players who may well become the stars of future Rugby World Cups. Six of the 25 match officials selected for Rugby World Cup 2023, including George's Nika Amushkeli, refereed at the most recent under-20s championship in Argentina in 2019, and Davidson believes the relationships she develops over the next month will be critical, quote, everyone knows that the most successful teams are those that are able to click when they've uh, when they're on the pitch she explained and for me that's no different with match officials If you've got a good working relationship and you're there to help one another, then for me, that's how we get the best outcomes on the field, unquote. Davidson is excited for what awaits in South Africa, having been involved with the previous two editions of the men's under-26 nations. She is expecting fast-paced matches and describes players at this level as, quote, balls of energy, unquote. Following her appointment as assistant referee for the Stormers' URC semifinal defeat of Connacht in Cape Town just last month, She is hopeful that fans will fill the stands again, just as they did when the tournament was last played in South Africa in 2012. Quote, South Africans love their rugby, Davidson said we were just down for the URC semi-final and to get 47,000 people in Cape Town was unbelievable and i've got no doubt they'll turn out for the under 20s as well so to get the experience in front of those crowds and to be in a country that's just so absolutely so absolutely passionate about the rugby i think is great it's so exciting unquote davidson is growing accustomed to stepping out in front of large stadiums but she admits to nerves in the week leading up to the rugby uh world cup 2021 final especially as news of the record attendance at eden park began to filter through quote when you see all the articles saying that it's a sellout or they've released more tickets and they're opening another section of the stadium i was like holy boop davidson said i then turned my phone off and at that point i was like You've been chosen for a reason here, Holly. And I kept trying to just repeat that in my head to not get so focused on the scary points of the game or the scary points of the environment anyway. Because I knew that as a referee, you're going to go in and you're going to receive some heat. The crowd's going to get on top of you at certain points. So I'd uh, already prepped in my head for that. And it was actually more about just going out and just trying to enjoy it take it in like that's never going to happen again so just enjoy all the moments and at one point i remember turning around and smiling to my ar amy barnett theron and she just smiled back like can you believe this is happening so yeah very good memories unquote davidson needed to make arguably the biggest decision of her career with less than 17 minutes on the clock at Eden Park. But despite having 42,579 pairs of eyes on her in the stadium, and with millions more watching from around the world, Davidson felt a sense of clarity as she sent England winger Lydia Thompson off for a dangerous tackle on Portia woodman Wycliffe. Quote, In that situation, because it was red, I just, felt quite still actually quite calm and in control because it it wasn't a 50 50 decision she explained it was probably very clear cut which then makes it a little bit easier obviously not for the player but a little bit easier of a decision unquote following the match which new zealand won 34 to 31 oh my god best match ever davidson celebrated with her partner and colleagues in the changing room while rugby uh, world cup 2017 final referee joy neville gave a speech in her honor Quote, just passing on the baton, Davidson said, (laughs) we became such a close-knit group of officials across that time in New Zealand that it was so nice to end it on a high. There was champagne, there were a few drinks flowing in the changing rooms after, and then I turned my phone on and my mom had gotten up at God knows what time in the morning and she was just so proud, unquote. Given how driven her daughter is to become the best referee that she possibly can be, it surely won't be the last such text Davidson receives as she travels to Cape Town, from Cape Town to Twickenham and beyond. Quote, I've got people around me and people in positions that want to see change and want to push match officiating on, she added. That keeps me motivated as well because it's like a whole collective drive forward for change, which I think keeps me on my toes, which is great. Unquote, Holly Please keep it up. You are the best. So moving on to our thoughts of the week and, you know, kind of sticking with the same theme in a way, I found some more cool news on the BBC website. So quoting here, quote, Sarah Cox, the world's first female professional rugby union referee has been awarded an MBE. The 33-year-old from Exeter was the first woman to take control of a men's premiership rugby match in 2021. She was the first woman to referee any men's top-tier game in England in 2018 in a premiership rugby cup game. Cox, who was uh, officiated in the, at the past two Olympic Games and three Women's World Cups, was named in the King's Birthday Honors List for services to the game. Quote, I'm really proud. There's a lot of years and a lot of hard work and tears that have gone into it said cox who turned professional as a referee in 2016 after injury cut short her playing career there's been a lot of times that i have stood there and said i'm not sure that this is the pathway i want to take anymore but i've stuck with it i've brought myself out of that and really been determined to keep going with it and keep achieving stuff to get an mbe really nicely encompasses all the hard work that i've gone through and some of the sacrifices that i've had to make as well unquote cox who was part of the first all-female officiating team in a european challenge cup match earlier this season that was in january as we just learned only told her mother about the award prior to be just prior to it being announced she says she does not feel being a woman has much impact on her role which also sees her regularly officially officiate in the men's second tier championship and the women's premier 15s competition quote the gender side of stuff gets taken out of it once you get onto a rugby pitch. She told BBC Radio Devon, you're there to do a job and you're there to be a professional just like those guys that are out there. It, it, it's all a pressure cooker and you're surrounded by people that this is their livelihood. So the winning is all that matters for us. Sometimes you do get things a little bit wrong and. You you do make a decision that they don't potentially like, so you do get a bit of conversation, but as a sport, we're very, very keen on keeping respect and values. And we do a lot of work around values in the background, unquote, Man, oh, man, <laughs> these two articles in a row. It's so great this really honestly feels like positive steps to me. It feels like change is in the air and I am here for it. Okay, that brings us to our reviews, my friends. And I I feel like I have to pre-calm down for this because I'm still just absolutely batshit over this weekend. Starting us off this week, obviously, it was the top 14 final at the Stade de France an absolutely jam-packed stadium the noise levels were off the charts quote it's a very special night said robbie block setting the bar for understatement of the night as the french national anthem rang out through the stadium as the smoke cleared i was well and truly psyched up i mean what a season it's been and and we really do end up with the best two teams i hadn't any idea going in who was going to win this one toulouse they seem like favorites if only for history's sake but La Rochelle. They were on an historic tear of their own. I feel like if I got paid by the number of times I I heard the name Ronan O'Gara every single day, you know what? I'd be retired in Barbados by now. So quick side note, they did such a good job with this pre-show. I was like 10 times more excited for this final than for the Prem or the URC. Sure enough, the game itself, oh, it was carnal. Just Mayhem for the first few minutes, no whistle blowing until the first penalty. Closing in on three minutes, it must have felt like a half hour to those players. Supermodel slash rugby player Antoine Hestoy had a relatively simple shot at the first points in the contest, but surprised absolutely everyone by missing. With Thomas Ramos nailing one of his own moments later for Toulouse, tough turnaround that only a quarter hour in La Rochelle. Had done, they they were doing these epic driving malls. Like they just inched inched forward bit by tiny bit, but for really long amounts of time, you know, like it had to be exhausting. I wondered even this early on, if this match was going to come down to fitness to loose, we're up two kicks to one and then bang it was senti chuckle Chocobare, uh chuckle sorry uh getting the first try of the night to make it 13 to 3 around the 25 minute mark hastoy made good on his next attempt but that made it only 2 for 4 off the tee for him so instead of 13 to 12 it was 13 to 6 Quote, this game has got absolutely everything, unquote, said Johnny Beatty, and he'd never been more right. To underline that fact, it was Tawera Care Barlow getting uh, La Rochelle's first try of the evening, and how dumb did I feel as they said, all black Care Barlow, and I was like, what? Yep, looked it up. Dude had 29 AB caps between 2012 and 2017. I had no idea until just that moment. Quote, I don't think Molière could have scripted anything more drama filled than this scenario here tonight unquote said robbie block and it was locked at 13 at the intermission so good gotta say the last couple of finals la rochelle were involved in they were noticeably behind at halftime and had to stage pretty miraculous comebacks to win so was being tied gonna be good or bad news for them is it about the comeback or just the points total anyway la rochelle scored the first try of the second half to break that tie but it was to lose with one then two then three penalties in a row to retake the lead it was 22 to 20 just after the three quarter mark what a game quote you get the feeling now that every single little error from now on they're going for the sticks unquote said the comms and right on cue it was a smiling Hastoy retaking the lead by a single point with 12 minutes to go it was entomac with a knock on much To the shock and surprise of everyone watching, including myself, it was their ninth knock of the day. Not a good number. And soon after it was another by Ramos with Johnny Beattie saying, he hasn't looked comfortable at all. And Hestoy would again make them pay. Side note. I literally had to stop this match like three different times just to calm down. It was just one of the most intense contests I've ever seen in any sport. Absolutely incredible. With under seven minutes left, Toulouse decided to go for the corner and, wait for it, Entomac missed it. He overcooked it. He put it out inside the in area, coughing it up at the most critical time, hands over his face. You know, calling it shocking would be massively underselling it. It was two major mistakes in quick succession for one of the world's best number 10s. Would it make the difference? With four and a half minutes remaining, Toulouse. They pilfered a crucial turnover inside their own 22 on the resulting drive. Oh, my word. It was, of course, Entomac getting redemption in one fell swoop, bursting through multiple defenders to glide in for the go ahead try with just two minutes to go. Could this match have gotten any closer? I swear, in any other circumstance, though, that would have been the death knell. But with this magical La Rochelle team this year, there was no way in hell Toulouse supporters would be celebrating it it was a moment that almost broke Entomac entirely he's collapsing with emotion as his teammates piled in on him to lose ahead by 3 and as they successfully pulled down the restart they only needed to stall for 10 seconds or so before Entomac himself kicked it into the stands to close the door on another title ecstasy and to lose a crushing Ending to La Rochelle's dream of a double title on the air. I was completely wrung out. It had to instantly make the top five all time matches for me. I've already, you know, right here, thrown so many words at it. None of them could do it justice. A perfect ending to an epic season. Stade Toulousain again, champions in the top 14. Holy cow. Okay, that brings us down to the southern hemisphere for Super Rugby Pacific. We it was semi-final weekend. Whoa, we had some good ones lined up. Crusaders in Christchurch facing the Blues was our first one, our first semi-final. You know what? This one looked really good on paper, but as they played it out, it it just it just wasn't even close. Crusaders annihilating the disappointing Blues. Top to bottom, this even affected the all-black selection that, that followed quickly upon it. It was, as they said after the fact on the Outdoor Rugby Podcast, a simple case of men versus boys. It was 18-0 to nil before the first quarter had gone by, and at 32-3 to three at halftime, the visitors looked completely outclassed in every phase of the game, particularly up front and at the breakdown where the Crusaders just bullied them all night. History was, of course, on the home team's side as the Crusaders were a mind-boggling 28-0 and in home playoff matches to that point. I mean, think about that for a sec. That's a stat that defies reason. But this year, you know, we, we kept hearing all season long the Blues, they were pacing themselves in such a way as to be peaking just at the right time to avoid a repeat of last year's letdown. On top of that, Crusaders were missing, I kid you not, eight all blacks in total, so there were a, there was a lot of buzz about a, about a potential historic upset for the Blues. In reality, however, they they were never even on the same page. They looked confused. They looked shocked. They looked lost. Maybe from the third minute when Crusaders bashed in for their opening score. By the end, it was fifty-two to fifteen, and even that might be flattering for the Blues, who are now in a. Pretty tough position with two punches, gut gut-punch losses at the ends of the last two seasons. And as yet, no replacement for their exiting head coach. From what I hear, they're having a devil of a time getting any interest at all as well. I expect next year will represent a massive downturn in the fortunes of this also-ran club. Not a fun game to watch. Blues, what happened? Next up, for our other semifinal, it was the Chiefs hosting the Brumbies. Right at the start, I mean, (laughs) the conditions were completely absurd, quote, it's bucketing down. If I'm honest, said the comps, quick side note, a complete non sequitur as well, by the way, at the seven minute mark in this game, they played rehab by Amy Winehouse over the PA. What's that all about rehab? Was that like a jab at a player? Like I don't get the New Zealand news. So maybe I, maybe I'm missing something, but that was super rando anyway. It felt like a microcosm. Chiefs easily slotting a penalty to get on the board first, but then the Brumbies sent one r- wide to the right. Not a great start. The cowbells were ringing out in the Waikato. At 17 minutes, there was our first scrum as the rains started to fade away, and that's when I finally grokked. It was Debrusini starting again. What now, co Why are they taking this kid on this ridiculous emotional roller coaster? Can we back Noah for a change? Anyway. Even when the Brumbies offense started to click, the hosts' defense just always seemed to step ahead. Just relentless Chiefs looked impermeable this season. But after 25 minutes, it was still just three to zero. Brumbies had to have been happy about that. Another side note: Sam Kane was on his 149th cap, and as they pointed out, would surely like to get his 150th next week. Lovely moment for me as Nick White tried to take on Brody. Ritalic. Ritalic gave him a good shove and gave him the 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 full ugly grimace, just trying to assert his massive size advantage. Nick White shoved back and got the better of him, almost throwing him down. Brody he looked shocked before going quickly back into his full bully mode. Great stuff. "Quote, it's almost a show of respect for how important Nick White is to the Brummies, just trying to take him off his game." Unquote said the comms. Interesting take that one. Anyway. Debersini left for the, quote, blood bin, unquote, a term I hadn't encountered before, though its meaning is pretty obvious. Presto, Lola Lolicio comes in, slotted one to get his team on the scoreboard at last. Great to see him starting strong. Right at the break, oh my word, I- I'm sorry. I'm not even kidding. It may have been the single dumbest play I have ever witnessed. The Brumbies had a goal line dropout, after the hooter had sounded for half times so they tried to kick it into touch to end the half but ended up basically skip passing it directly to a chiefs player on like the 15 suddenly they were back under the gun when they should have been headed to the locker room Uh, i don't know who was screaming louder me or the comms it was an absolute backbreaker of a mistake in a 6-3 game no less just mind-bogglingly foolish more bad news james slipper had failed his hia and wouldn't be returning what turn of fortune however through a miraculous defensive effort Brumbies managed to dodge like five more bullets to escape tryless in the first half down just those three points at the top of the second half there was a lot of sort of retcon happening first they said a Takeaho non try actually should have been a try why do they bother to say that I just don't understand then they said James Slipper hadn't actually failed his HIA but Debrasini did this one was getting weird Chiefs, they extended their lead to 9-3 to three at minute 53, the comms wondering out loud if we were in for a tri semifinal. At that point, they mentioned Robert Valentini, or Bobby V, as they like to call him, and I suddenly realized he'd been invisible completely invisible all day. Another bad sign for where this one was going. But while the CEO closed the gap back to within three, keeping the visitors in range of an absolutely massive potential upset at the 65th minute, it was a huge decision for the Brumbies. They had a penalty and good kicking range, but a try would give them their first lead of the night headed towards the final 10 minutes. History seemed to compete with itself in a way. On one hand, no Aussie team had ever won a playoff game in New Zealand. I mean, ever. But on the other hand, Brumbies had won in this very venue two of the last three times these teams had met. In the end, the decision was the corner. I loved that call. Of course, this move worked all year long last season, but that's when they still had Falau Ga. So, I mean, I was on the edge of my seat for sure. The lineout was perfect. The mall was driving, but right. As it went down, a Chiefs player dove over and smacked the ball out of Brumby's hands with Nick Berry calling it a knock-on by the guests. A terrible call by my reckoning. He slapped the ball and it went to the ground towards the Chiefs. So if they had gathered it, sure, it would have been an amazing turnover, but the Brumbies were the ones to get it back. So knock-on just seemed like an absurd call to me. I was starting to get annoyed on behalf of the away side. Just couldn't get a break all night. And then, I mean, my friends, it was downhill from there McKenzie getting another kick to make it 12 to six and on the restart it was Lola CEO kicking it out on the full to bring it back for a midfield scrum this with maybe you know seven and a half minutes to go almost inevitably with just under two minutes left on the clock it was the Chiefs getting the first try of the match stamping their ticket to a date with the Crusaders at home though this time in Hamilton Brumbies absolutely crestfallen, knowing this was one that got away as the final hooter blared out over the metallic din of the cowbells, it was league-leading Chiefs winning once again, defeating the top Australian side 19-6, to six, earning themselves a shot at a championship for the first time in over a decade. Okay coming back home to the states and major league rugby I mean things weren't nearly as intense back here at home with only the New York and DC game you know sort of potentially impacting the postseason a postseason that starts next week but there was still some incredible action and some big stories for instance the weekend began with a remarkable contest in Arlington it was the Dallas Jackals hosting the Chicago Pupsters I still haven't watched this replay I admit but I do know That there were five red cards in this match i have to assume that points to a major brawl i mean i hope the all-star the alternative seemed much worse somehow i also know from friend of the pod dr harley worthy dallas should have put this one away with a two-player advantage at the end but coughed up a penalty to allow the pupsters to kick a go-ahead penalty to steal a 28-29 win in texas The hapless Toronto Arrows succumbed once again at home, this time to Nola Gold, losing by just two points. What a gut punch of a year it's been for them. It was 24-26 to to close out the season for them. Old gory D.C. did just what they needed to do, getting a nice win over Atlanta, 36-28. And just as I'd hoped, New York lost at home to a Utah team who had nothing really to play for, 33-43 in a bit of a shootout. And then, of course, My beloved Free Jacks! we were back home for the regular season finale, hosting the Houston Thundercats. It was a bit of a weird day, to be honest. My weather app... Okay, I'm checking my phone constantly before these games. My weather app claimed it wasn't going to rain. Even after it had been raining for a full hour, it still said, nope, no rain, just cloudy. So we arrived completely unprepared for rain because there wasn't supposed to be any we actually had my son with us as well hoping to turn him into a fan so it was a pretty rough way to get things going it it did clear up pretty quickly however so by the 20-minute mark he'd switched from complaining about being wet to complaining about it being too hot so you know now that I think about it it was a pretty typical New England day so quoting here from the official match report "Quote." Powered by a LaRue Milan hat trick, the New, York, uh, the New England Free Jacks closed out the regular season in style Sunday, rolling to a 47 24 victory over the Houston Sabercats in front of a sellout crowd of 4,758 at Veterans Memorial Stadium. The win was the 10th straight for the 14 2 Free Jacks, who now enter the Major League Rugby playoffs as the top seed in the Eastern Conference. They will host the winner of the New York and Old Glory DC game and the East Final on Saturday, July 1st. Milan scored three of New England's seven tries Sunday, including a sensational individual effort that opened the scoring in the 13th minute. The inside center blocked a Houston kick, snatched the ball out of the air. I mean, I I was there. It was freaking unbelievable. You never see that. And sprinted untouched for a 70-meter try. Milan added a second breakaway score four minutes later off an offload from outside center Ben Lesage, Lesage, uh, and then a third Early in the second half, number 8, Vian Conradi, he notched two tries on goal line pick-and-goes and wing Paula Balacana and scrum half John Poland each scored one for the Free Jacks, who led by as many as 30 points for a late Sabercats rally. Lesage set up Balakana's and Poland scores with line breaks and well-timed offloads. Fullback Reese McDonald was a perfect 7-for-7 seven seven on the conversion kicks. Um, quick side note. Uh, I don't think that's true. I'm sure I watched one go wide, plus seven times seven doesn't equal 47, right? Come on, guys. The Free Jacks won by double digits for the sixth consecutive week, despite losing two key starters to early injuries. Bodine Waka, oh my God, starting in the number 10 shirt, just as he wanted to. We just talked about this on my show for the first time this season in fact he exited after absorbing a heavy hit from houston flanker danny barrett less than two minutes into the match i mean i swear to god it was like the first time he even had the ball boom he got nailed it looked like he was going to go to the lockers but he went to the bench at one point he got up you could tell he was like come on put me back in they wouldn't let him okay that makes me think not that bad but it was a, a shocking sight almost equally shocking winger mitch wilson also left the game within the first 15 minutes the those two players were replaced by spencer jones and joe Johnston. with Johnston typically a back row forward playing massively out of position in wilson's spot unquote i mean my friends it was a phenomenal way to close out the regular season the boys have well earned the week off they've got as we await the winner of dc versus new york this weekend what a team so much fun so rounding out the final uh, well round uh, we had a battle of the best of the west with san diego hosting seattle san diego ended their regular season on a real high getting an emphatic win over their closest rivals in the west more than doubling up the SeaWolves. it was 40 to 19 to nab their record 13th consecutive victory i'm very much hoping it's us who ultimately faced legion in the final but whoever it is they're going to be underdogs. Us, doesn't matter. Anyone against this Legion this year, underdogs for sure. Best MLR season ever. (laughs) By the music, you'll, of course, know it's time for this week's Diamond in the Ruck Award. And this week, the award goes to Roma Entomac, Monsieur Entomac. After a shaky start and a mediocre 70 minutes in this one, we could all see the frustration on your face with one mistake leading directly to La Rochelle's first points of the night. But what we could also see was you taking a breath Doing a bit of stretching to calm your nerves and when the moment came you pounced on it splashing down a heartbreaking game-changing 60 meter try to snatch the trophy away from your opponents sealing yet another championship season for your history making side you were resilience personified despite everything you found a way to be the last minute hero your try you garnering you a well-deserved player of the match award as well as this The most prestigious of World Rugby accolades, Monsieur Antimac, congratulations to you, for you are this week's Diamond in the Ruck Bien joué. Oakley, Oakley, that brings us to our updates and previews. This is the time of year when the preview section becomes incredibly light. You know, we've already seen the end of the Prem, we've seen the end of the URC. now the top 14. Super Rugby is down to just a single match to crown a champion, while here in the MLR two teams get a nice break while the remaining four duke it out to advance to their respective conference finals. So. Down in the Southern Hemisphere, we've got a fantastic clash lined up between these seemingly unbeatable perennial favorites, the Crusaders, who are on the road this time, though, for a final for the second time in two years to face league-leading Chiefs in Hamilton. I mean, it's going to be incredible. By the way, the the Chiefs have the better record, so they're probably theoretical favorites, but everyone knows the Crusaders are going to win, right? Right? Right. Back closer to home, we'll have Seattle hosting the Thundercats at the Starfriar in Tukwila, followed uh, followed by New York taking on D.C. at Mount Vernon. Both teams locked on 43 points on the table. All I have to say is, come on, D.C. Well, my friends, that does it for yet another week. I am still buzzing from that top 14 final. Are you even kidding me? Also, when Phil and I from the Jax Ranger show did his... I love that segment, by the way. We always do the uh, the patented way too early predictions. And this was way before MLR started this year. Both of us, I, th- I think, we both agreed that we'd probably end up the Free Jacks 12-4 and 4 this year both of us were willing to potentially see you know 11 and 5 even 10 and 6 here we are now at 14 and 2 and headed into a bye week incredible I can't wait to report back from the Eastern Conference final in two weeks so as always thanks again for coming along to all of you across the globe cheers talk to you soon and my friends be well